Thank you guys so much. That was uh, lifted our hearts as they ought to be lifted to worship our Lord. And so thank you, Rhett. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Faith, for uh, and just praise the Lord, you know, for giving us, uh, you know, people with these talents uh, to, to use to to serve him and to lift up his name. And, and that is that is good, you know. And and so let, let's praise praise him for that. You know, and it's right, right for us to do that. And so, um, great joy. <laughs> so let's, let's now turn and, uh, let's go to the Lord and pray. And as we do that, just prepare your own heart to, as we come to the Word and as we turn to the Word, uh, as the, the climax of this service, that you would come and you would hear from God. And so let's, let's pray. Father, we we come before you, Lord, and we come in light of lofty things. We come in light of, even as we have sung already, we've sung many words and sung of many truths that are great. And so we come this morning to a as well to a lofty subject. Help us, Father, as we come under it. Help us that you would make your word clear, make it within reach. Help us to come ready to behold, because you call us to come, and even now that we would come and behold you. And and so, Father, as we turn to your word, help us uh, and help us in our hearts. uh, Prepare our hearts, Father. Prepare our minds. uh, Prepare our eyes and our ears. And, and even prepare our hands and our feet because we aren't simply to hear it, but we are then simply after hearing it to go and then do it. And even in hearing it to do it as we will see. And so Father, we pray for your hand and your grace. Give me grace. And we ask, uh, for your, your hand to work, uh, among us, uh, this morning. And we, we love you. We thank you for your son. And we pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. It's easy to become overly comfortable with the words we use here. So there are words that we say here, you know, in our churches that, you know, non-churchgoers really aren't familiar with. Justification or penal substitutionary atonement. They're not words that you're going to hear in the coffee shop. So, could I have a coffee, a cup of coffee? Oh, and by the way, what do you think of eternal functional subordination? I mean, those aren't the kind of words that, you know, people, you know, in the world are used to. And even some of you here right now are wondering what in the world I just said. It's so easy for us to take for granted the words that we use. And it can be just as easy to forget what they mean. For example, a rather you know common one that we sing here and, and we often say is the word exalt. So what does that mean? Well, the 1828 edition of the Webster's Dictionary, which I especially like, it defines exalt this way. It says to raise high, to elevate. 
and to elevate in estimation and praise, to magnify, to praise, to extol. So this morning, I will be using that word, exalt, again and again. Because our passage, it calls us to do just that. It calls us to the action that we can engage in now to exalt. But I, won't, I don't want us to simply hear this word, but I want us to, and urge us, even as I just did, to act upon it. Even now. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, exalts the Son. And so let us exalt Him together. Raise Him high to elevate Him, to magnify Him, to praise Him, and to extol Him. And we can do that, and we will do that, and I pray you would do that as we turn to the Word of God. And our exaltation of the Son will not be a side note to the book of Colossians, but it will inform the doing of everything that follows in this letter. So this is important, what we are going to behold and what we are going to see this morning. So this letter does what many of Paul's letters do and has this indicative imperative structure. So what does that mean? Well, indicative, here's what you are to know and what you are to see. Imperative is now go and live in light of these truths that you have beheld that are true, that of you, of God, and so on. So what we see today is meant to propel our worship, our exaltation of Christ, beyond today and into our lives and into all that we do. It would be wrong for us to come away from this morning and say, well, we heard some lofty things, but that is all we will do with that, is hear it. So let us then practice what we preach. <laughs> let us exalt Him this morning. Let us raise Him high in our hearts as we turn to the Word of God. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. And may God, as I read this, give us eyes to hear, or eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts readied to be transformed by the living Word of God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen. Amen.
Well, we have officially moved from the introduction of this letter to the body of this letter, and we again see the purpose of this letter unfolding. So if you remember the purpose, uh, I've mentioned it, I think, the first time I went through it. I can't remember if I mentioned it again, but the purpose of this letter is to look to, to cling to, to hope in, and found all of life upon Christ who is Lord and who is God over all. So, have we not already seen that? Over and over again? And now as we come to this passage, my oh my, we see it. Now if you remember from last week, Paul, he wrote beginning in verse 13, there, if you look up, he, the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So now, starting here, in verse 15, Paul, what he is doing then, he is expounding upon the Son. He expounds upon Him under who, under whom, whose kingdom we have been transferred. So he urges us, come, let us exalt our King together. So there are two major ways then that we are to do this, that we are to exalt the Son together this morning. First, Let's exalt the Son who is over all of creation. So he lifts up the Son here with this early Christian poetic hymn. So hymns in Paul's day were more akin to a creed or confession of our day. Yet, I say that, but at the same time, though it was different in that way, they are alike in that They are meant to move our minds and our hearts to worship. We are meant to hear these these words. We are meant to come to these words and we are meant to respond in worship. And that's why I began saying you cannot and we should not just simply hear and have the Son exalted before our eyes this morning without us coming and worshiping Him even now. So then, what we see here then is one awe-inspiring truth after another. (laughs) So first truth we see, we see he, the Son, perfectly reveals and represents God. We are told that he is the image of the invisible God. Now we need to understand that although this word Images used here, it is not talking about image in the same way Genesis 1 is. So there in Genesis 1, 27, it said, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So there in Genesis, we see a clear distinction between God and man. Man is like God in some ways, but he is not God. Man, don't get that reversed. Don't confuse that. So this is not what this is saying here, though, of Jesus in Colossians 1. It's saying Jesus perfectly reveals and represents God. Such that if you see the Son you see the Father. 
Even as Jesus said, if you'll remember, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And he says in John as well, I and the Father are one. So this could not have been said of Adam and Eve, and it could not be said of us. This is appropriate of the Son and the Son only. He is an exact representation of God. So Hebrews 1.3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And as one preacher said, He is the perfect portrait of God. So, if you want to know God, you need Jesus. There is no other way. God is not known through self-made religion, nor through the religions of this world. He is not known through the idols we have so and we do so carefully carve for ourselves. He is not known through the existential world we have made for ourselves in America and beyond. He is known only and truly through Jesus. While I was a youth intern in Oklahoma, yes, if you don't know yet, we are from Oklahoma, and we're from Kentucky, and we're from all over the place. So, but yes, we were in Oklahoma one time, born and raised in Oklahoma, but while we were there, and while I was there specifically, we had a youth retreat at our church where we went out and we rented a cabin for a focused time of worship and teaching. Well, we asked a preacher to come, a guest preacher to come, and and talk to our students, and he had been reading a book that talked about how we can make for ourselves uh, these plastic Jesuses. So, this Jesus is not Jesus. But we have carefully molded him into our liking. And then, what we do is with this Jesus that we have kind of made for ourselves, is, is we begin bowing to that Jesus before this plastic Jesus, which often what he really looks like is he looks more like an American-made Jesus instead of the real Jesus that we see in the Bible. Friends, you do not need a plastic Jesus. You need the real Jesus. You need him as he is. You need him who will not be molded to our liking, to your liking, to my liking. He is who He is. We don't need our handmade Jesus. We need Him who leads us to the Father. We need Him who has shown us who He is in His Word. No cutting or splicing or editing allowed. That's one truth. A second truth we see here is he is the creator, not the created. Here we must face down a heresy that has been falsely derived from this passage here. You know, it is, it is no exaggeration to say that this false teaching has been a source of stumbling for many even for hundreds of years. So this phrase, the firstborn of all creation, it has caused you know quite a stir in church history. 
And that's putting it mildly. Well, in 320 AD, there was a man by the name of Arius who made the claim there was a time when he, the sun, was not. So in other words, there was a time when the sun did not exist. Instead, Arius, he claimed that the sun was created by God. He was the first of God's creatures. But though he was the first, he was still nonetheless created. Today, Jehovah's Witnesses have essentially carried on this view. Uh, they say the sun was created as the archangel Michael billions of years ago as the firstborn of all creation. Now, you may have met some Jehovah's Witnesses over the years, and, you know, I can testify as well, they are often very kind people, you know, and I've talked with them and had conversations with them, and very kind, but in all love, they need the real Jesus. The Jesus they worship is not Jesus. And it is that important. These things are that important that if you get this wrong and you say Jesus was created, you are now no longer worshiping God. You are no longer worshiping Jesus. It's a plastic Jesus. Also, let me say clearly, that the claim that the Son was created is not Christianity. It was rejected as a heresy long ago at the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. And if that's the Jesus view accepted, you still need Jesus. So we've seen what this passage is not saying. So we spent some time on that, and we needed to spend some time on that. But let's understand what this passage is saying. So for that, we find a help from a psalm. Psalm 89, 27. The psalm there, it's writing of David, even of the Davidic king to come, even of the Son, Christ, who would come, and how God would establish him and establish his kingdom. And so it says there, and I will make him the firstborn, there we go, the highest of the kings of the earth. Now David, if you know David, King David, he was not a firstborn son. He was the youngest among seven brothers. So that's not what firstborn means there. Because he was obviously not firstborn. Instead we are told what firstborn means. The highest of the kings of the earth. This one who would come would be above all. This is confirmed even further And it's even further clarified by our next verse here in Colossians 1. For by Him, verse 16, for by Him all things were created. So this further explains for us firstborn. The Son was not made, but He made all things and is preeminent and has supremacy over all things. Everything you see, and even the things you don't see, were made by Him. Think about that. The one who died on the cross for your sins is the same one who made the stars and the planets. Whether great 
or small, whether visible or invisible, it was made by Him. Incredible. Exalt the sun. The Milky Way galaxy alone is 100,000 light years in diameter. Now, a light year is not a stroll around the block, so it's not one you could just easily grasp. But a light year is 5,865,696,810,000 miles. Now, with that number in your mind, hopefully you wrote it down. I'm not going to repeat it. Go back and listen to the sermon again. Now multiply that by 100,000 light years. That's our galaxy. Welcome. Within our knowledge, there are many, many more galaxies. Even 100 to 200 billion more galaxies. He made all that. And he made you and me. In all this, all things were made for him, including you. Your family, your spouse, your children, your manager, your boss, your co-workers, your college professor, your Sunday school teacher, yes, and even your dog Fluffy, all of them were made for him. And we wonder why. We wonder why then, why brokenness fills our world and fills our families and our lives. When you live apart from the sun, brokenness is your lot. Which leads us to the next truth. He is before all and he upholds all. So the sun is eternal. There never was a time when he was not. Everything is upheld by him. As a baby born to Mary while he hung on the cross, and even now as you hear his word, he is upholding the universe by the word of his power. And if this is true, and it is, it is not reasonable, or it is, is, is it not reasonable that you can and you should trust him with your life? Trust Him with tomorrow. Trust Him with the questions that you have no answer to. Trust Him in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your sorrows, in the midst of your sufferings. Trust Him in the midst of a world full of conflict, pain, and sorrow. And this then turns to lead us to the second way that we are to exalt the Son. Let us exalt the Son who is all over all the creation and let us exalt the Son who is over all of salvation as well. So with the end of verse 17, we transition from creation to see His supremacy over salvation. Here also we are given you know, truth after truth concerning the Son, beginning with the truth here that He is the head of the church. So in other words, He has you know, supreme authority over His church. He is over His people. 
We are given an, an image of a, a physical body here with Jesus as the head who is directing it, who is guiding it, who is sustaining it, who is enlivening it, who is leading the body. Now, the danger here is in distorting this image. The pastor or pastors, they are not the head of the church. The deacons are not the head of the church. I love you deacons, but you're not. The congregation is not head of the church. The longest tenured family is not the head of the church. Uncle Jim Bob and Aunt Gertrude, they are not the head of the church. Jesus is. And man, oh man, I have seen the devastation left in the wake of the reversal of this truth. I've seen a whole community in darkness. And I mean that. Megan can testify as well. We have seen a whole community left in darkness and left disillusioned and disgusted because this truth was reversed, changed, and corrupted. Oh, may we unwaveringly embrace this truth that Jesus is the head. Haven. He is the head. Let us follow Him. Let all we do in Amat be under Him and be under His Word. Under it. And the Gospel, may we in all we do, whether it be our services, our meetings, our Sunday schools, our home groups, our gospel efforts, in all we do, whether small or great, may be done in submission to Christ. He is the one directing us. Pastor, follow Him. Deacons, follow Him. Congregation, follow Him. So let us bow the the knee. Bow to Him. As the hymn goes, the Getty hymn, O church, arise and put your armor on. Hear the word, hear the call of Christ, our captain. For now the weak can say that they are strong and the strength that God has given with shield of faith and belt of truth will stand against the devil's lies. An army bold whose battle cry is love reaching out to those in darkness. That is with him as our captain. So, O church, may that be our disposition to our captain. Bow the knee. Next, the next truth we see here is he is the risen, reconciling God-man. So Jesus, he is the beginning. Not in the sense of Genesis 1 or John chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, he was with God and was God. But in the sense, the Son is the beginning of redemption. He comes to bring about new creatures in Christ. He comes to restore and to pick up the broken pieces of a broken cosmos, redeeming his church and judging his enemies. He comes that through his resurrection, his being the firstborn from the dead, he would be supreme over creation and over salvation. And what, what is there left? 
That is your God, and that is your Savior. It is He who came for you, such that in Him all of the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So when the Son, He took on flesh, all of His divine attributes, they were not lost, and they were not temporarily taken away at that point. No, Jesus is fully God, omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, eternal, independent, infinite in wisdom, love, goodness, holiness, truthfulness, peace, mercy, and grace. Fully God and fully man. This divine Savior would come to reconcile God and man. He would come to reconcile this broken cosmos that one day He will again make it anew. Do you long for that day when He would make it anew? Man. How did He reconcile this broken cosmos? How did He do that? He did that through dying. Making peace by the blood of His cross. His blood was spilt on the cross and with it being spilt on the cross, it means peace upon peace, without end to those who know Him. Where you were born into this world, severed from God, you may now, even now, be made right with Him. You may have peace with God. And He did that through His sacrifice, His blood spilt in your place the one who is over all of creation, the one who is upholding all of creation, even now the one for whom you were made. The Son who made all things and made them for Himself and holds them all together, Him who is the perfect portrait of the Father, He came to save you. This means you are not defined the way you are. Now, Many tell us that's the, that's not the case. You are fine the way you are. You were born this way. Well, yeah, you, you, you were born this way. You were born broken. You were born separated. You were born severed from God. You were born with a heart and a mind and a soul and a body that was sinned, cursed, and sin set. You were born that way. Yet, yet, He still came for us despite that. And now He calls you to come back, return to the One for whom you were made. So may it be that you would. May it be that as we respond this morning, you would consider yourself. You. Your heart. Do you know this Savior? Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this exalted one? And may it be that as we consider you know him this morning, such a Savior, our proper response would be to exalt him. Let us respond and exalt him who is above all of creation in all of salvation. Let our thoughts thoughts be lifted up to Him as we are everywhere surrounded by His creation.
creation. Let us marvel at a salvation that he who was above all would condescend to save us. What us let Jesus be central in all we do because he is to be central in all we do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. Just ask, Father, that you would help us, Lord. Help us to do as we have heard. We have seen the exalted Son who would condescend for us, and he did condescend for us. He didn't have to, but he did. May we exalt him, Lord. And may that exaltation flow into every area of our lives. May it be that He would be the one we cling to. He would be the one we hope in. He would be the one we treasure. And He would be the one that in everywhere in our lives, we would be about Him. And we would bow our knees to Him. Pray, Father, that if there's anyone here who does not know Jesus this morning, ask that you would just work now in their hearts and lead them to respond by repenting, turning from sin and self, and trusting in this Savior. And may we all respond and exult in Him. In Jesus' name, amen.